They told me for years there was no money in podcasting. Well, they were all wrong. This is an ambiguous podcast solutions original podcast. A podcast years in the making. Centered around You're listening to Talking with Tarashuk. With your host and founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, Will Tarashuk. Join Will and his guests as they talk about anything and everything under the sun. I say this all the time. Now, without further ado, let's do this. Yes, I know I have gray hair. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another remote edition of the Talking with Tarashuk podcast. My guest today is a man I used to work with, a very smart man, very intelligent man, and a very good man. The man's name is Alan Schoenberg. Alan is currently a chief communications officer with an expertise in finance and the economy. We're going to discuss exactly what that means, because I have so many questions, the landscape of corporate America, how he got there, some quality advice for anyone out there like me who wants to get there one day, and how his passion for running and philosophy managed to weave their way in and out of his busy schedule. So, Alan, my friend, thank you so much for being on the show, and welcome. Will, thank you, and thanks for calling me your friend. I take that as a great honor of a badge of honor for me, so I appreciate it. Yeah, so we we met through work. Um, you, so you worked more closely with Leanne, um, yep. and I believe Leanne was my supervisor, then it was Anna, and then it was you? Correct. Is that my right there? So you're, Yeah, that's you're, correct, correct. You're pretty yep, yep. high up there. A few layers, a few layers. A few layers, so you're, you're pretty high up there. So this is my first interview with actually someone from, I guess, an executive tier were you like i guess where were you in terms of the executive tier was it like more mid-level executive high level executive i honestly don't know oh goodness i, I don't know either <laughs> i don't know the, the, the point was just getting the work done so and uh and while there there's layers in the org chart you know i was always accessible and you know would talk to you and everybody else so i don't you know to me it was just doing my job is what i what i did so uh i don't know how you want to categorize that yeah it's pretty much if alan doesn't yell at you you're doing a good job so. hey i don't i don't yell no, okay if, if alan doesn't need a stern a, a stern discussion or like a hey Hey, pal, that kind of discussion, which I never had. Pause. So, whew, thank God. The pause. The pause. The pause. <laughs> so, Alan, thank you for being here. But uh, what brings you here today? Give me a life story, you know, introduce yourself to everybody. And who is Mr. Schoenberg? Yeah, well, you know, look, I, I have to say I was a little jealous. I saw Leanne on your show and I was like, well, why didn't Will ask me to be on the show? I, I, I can't believe it. So, uh, so you know, great, great to be here. And then, I've, you know, I've seen some of your episodes, big baseball fan. I grew up a big baseball fan in the city of Detroit. So uh, seeing all of your shows about baseball got me energized as well. Hopefully we can talk a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit of baseball today too. Love, love some diamond talk. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a nomad though you know grew up in detroit moved to chicago i lived in london uh now i'm in new york i have four kids uh you know i love what i do from from a professional standpoint uh long time runner i had a bit of a pause uh, in my in my running career if you want to call it a career but uh, back at it again and running distances that uh i never thought i'd dream of running we, we can talk about ultra races and ultra marathons and yeah so it's uh that's a 50 plus years of my life summed up in uh, 30 seconds for you. How's that? It's perfect. It's perfect. But you know what? You want to talk baseball? Let's start baseball. Baseball sure. is in, very easy to talk about for me because I can talk about it forever. You strike me as a Met fan. No. No? no? <laughs> this is my guess. No. No. Who's, no. who's your team? Who's your team? I, I, the Detroit Tigers. The Tigers? And well, yes. Look, uh, well. I was born, so I was born in 1968, of course, the year of the Tigers. Al Kaline, Mickey Lolich, mm -hmm. Danny McLean, winning the World Series against the Cardinals. You know, graduated high school in 86. So just before I graduated, they won the World Series in 84. Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker, mm -hmm. Jack Morris, Kirk Gibson. Uh, so, yeah, I was, you know, a, t a Tiger fan from the day I was born. Of course, you know, my, my father was a Tiger fan, too. So that had an influence on me a little bit. But uh, always, I've always been a Tiger fan. And they've, they've, the Tigers have struck me as a team that's always had the pieces, but they've always been missing one or two. And I'm, yeah. going, I'm going back to the mid-2000s, like 05, 06, 07. They were the bane of the Yankees' existence. You know I'm a Yankee fan. Yeah, I know you're a Yankee fan. I'm and sorry. It was, it was every ALDS, it was just, oh, they're facing Verlander again. They're facing yeah. Verlander again. Mike Messina just can't beat Verlander. Yeah. So, and then Miguel Cabrera on a tear. You know, yeah. who is their Closer, the guy with the big mustache. 
Oh, I know you're uh, talking about. I um, forget his name. I can't remember. The big dude. My dad's going to kill me. He's going to yell, yeah. yell at the screen for me. But, you know, they had the Jim Leland, great manager. Yeah. Who had a big history with the Pirates. But it's like, why Why couldn't the Tigers? Get, they, got to, they got to the World Series and they lost to the Astros, I believe, in 06. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they did. Correct. Yeah. So what was the missing piece for the for the Tigers? <laughs> You know, I always, I, 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 every sport I played, I've always played a defensive role. So my, my mm-hmm. feeling on every championship is defense wins championships. So yes. whether it's ice hockey and the Red Wings, uh, basketball and the Pistons, Tigers and pitching. So to me, you know, if, if a team always has a weak spot, it's always, always pitching in baseball, in my view. Um, so, I, you know, I, I would say that team was, you know, probably one pitcher away from winning it. I think that makes sense. No, I think that's so. that's for the historically that's been the Yankees' problem too, at least in the past fifteen years or so. No. And, I've, and I've always had the feeling the Tiger the Tigers always you know twenty years have this good run every twenty years so mm-hmm. they've kind of missed their window now, but uh, they're they're struggling this year. So they're struggling. Fifth place out of the three divisions now in the American. I'm still getting used to like having three divisions in the American League, and it drives drives me nuts. I'm there, a purist. There so. used to be more. I thought it was is this uh, East. East, West, Central. What, what yeah, there used to be two, right? There was East and West. Oh, was this the? It was. Was this the? Oh, well, he's talking way back. Talking like this. Like yeah, the yeah. AL. <laughs> yeah. I guess I shouldn't yeah. say way back, but back. I'll say Thanks. back. Right. I gotta, yeah. I gotta, I gotta humble you a little bit. So back. Yeah. It was this. It was just the AL and the NL. Where it was just they went straight to the pennant, and then the World Series. There was well, no yeah, but series. you had the AL East and the AL West, right? So, um, and then those two winners would meet in the in the playoffs, and then the winner of that would go to the right. go to the uh, World Series. And now you've got wild cards and three divisions, and it's just to me, it's it's you know, it's too much. Did that switch early '90s with the expansion? Was that before yeah. that? Because then you yeah, had the division series. And I the think wild it was, card. I think that's about right. It was in the '90s. I think yeah. that's about right. Yeah, I'm also you know I'm also being an American League baseball fan I, I you know a bit of heresy here I, I am not a fan of the designated hitter so really? I, I I love that pitchers have to hit um so for me the the DH rule um I, I just don't like it for me it's just like okay you got to pick one right you can't have one league with one league without yeah. that just seems silly I, yeah. I like the DH because you know Pitchers are very fragile, right? Pitchers like a quarterback. If a good pitcher goes down, forget it. Your whole season can be over. Money is just wasted. <laughs> yeah. So like the DH, I think the DH has existed because one, uh, MLB's dying. We need home runs. So DH, yeah. yay. And two, money. It, kind of, it comes yeah. down to everything. Totally you know, it's, agree. it's a business decision. Yeah, I, I, I like agree. the DH, but I like, I like the Otani rule where oh, he can, so good. He can yeah. pitch and DH because there's definitely yeah. some pitchers out there who can still yeah. hit. You yep. just can't hit. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree. I think I think the protection of the pitchers is is obviously there are an expensive commodity these days. Uh, but I love the I just love the concept of the strategy. And you know, you've got a pitcher without a DH. You know, do you take them out? Do you pinch it for them? Do you let them hit and let mm-hmm. them continue pitching if they're pitching well? Like to me, it just adds a level of complexity if you're a manager to figure out like what do you need to do and that to me it's all goes to like game theory now we can get a little into economics here um but there's there's a strategy around it and what's the cost the opportunity cost for like taking out the pitcher and putting in a pinch hitter and then you gotta have a new pitcher like to me that that is um that's what i really enjoy about the sport Versus, you know, DH rule, it's great. It's fine. It, you know, gives some players longevity, protects pitchers. I get it. More runs. It's fun. It's okay. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it, but I, they're not going to listen to me anyway. I kind of I think baseball <laughs> needs to lean into the fact that it's a game for nerds, right? It's like, yes. it, it's inherently a very nerdy game. The game is yeah. all about statistics. Yeah. Right. And it's yeah. all about strategy. It's like if Dungeons yeah. and Dragons was a sport, right? Yeah. It's just complete... And I, I think myself as a purist like that. So I'm curious to see, because I've, yeah. I've not gonna lie, I've gone a little back and forth on this one with the extra innings runner on second base. Yeah. Because the purist of me hates it because it makes the game too easy. <laughs> then again, yeah. you know, I've, I've heard some managers speak on it. It's like, no, 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 no. This is just a new strategy. Yeah. Right? It's, it's like, I, I like it. Who's on second base, right? Are they I, fast? Yeah. Who's at the yep. plate? Do you bunt? Walk you know, them. If Aaron judges at the plate, do you want him bunting? No, no, no. I, but it, it does add that element into the game. But I was like, listen, second base, put him on first base. I think yeah. first base would be make more sense. But second base is like, OK, well, one hit ends the game. It's a little silly. 
you know, you know, it all depends. You know, if you're the home team, I, I guess that's okay. Um, I, I, I like the runner on second base rule. It speeds up the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it does add some complexity. Again, the game theory of like, what do you do to your point? Like, do you bunt, do you walk the hitter? Do you try for a double play? Like, do you go for it? Like there's a lot more decision-making that needs to be made in a, in a quick scenario um that i think i I think is it's pretty fascinating i I do and you're important in sports i mean fantasy sports is you know the birth of fantasy sports is rotisserie baseball i mean that's where it all started decades ago yep um I believe me and I, you Trevor know, I used to play. I detail. love that. Yeah, love those those old fantasy leagues. It was you know you were just pouring over the newspaper the next day and trying to figure out where your players were. Now you know you get on a sports league and you just see it in real time, which is okay, um, but it can cause a lot of anxiety. So that's for sure. I mean, you think fantasy yeah. football is stressful. Think 162 games of like six. Months. Oh, it's forget, too much. Forget it. For, forget from it. a fantasy sports perspective, it's it's too much. All right, Alan, last baseball question. By the time this yeah. is released, it's going to be about the All-Star break, which I can't believe it's already the All-Star break. Okay. Who you got in the World Series and who wins? Oh, I think, you know, right now, driver's seat is the Yankees. Um, yeah. I, I really, I, I really do. They're they're playing really well. Uh, I, if, if I had to take a National League team, though, I'd be the Dodgers. I love the Dodgers. So that's my National League team, my go-to team. So that's who I'm hoping for. And a Dodgers-Yankee series is always phenomenal. It is. I'm glad I wasn't alive in the 70s, although I can't take that back because I would have loved <laughs> to see it. Like, my dad loves telling me about uh, Reggie Jackson and, like, the um, this, this like that summer of 77. Yeah. 77 with the son of Sam. Yeah. And yeah. then the Reggie Jackson is going crazy with Billy Martin and yo and this the whole squad. Yeah. Wild. I would have loved to be alive at that time, but yeah. I, I was, and it was a great series. I remember, you know, watching all those games with my dad, the Dodgers, Yankees, and it was phenomenal. Just a great, great series. I want the Subway series. I, I am begging <laughs> for the Subway series. I want to see the Yankees come in and just whoop that ass on the Mets. That is just <laughs> yeah. what I'm begging for. Yeah, that would be it would be it would be really interesting for sure. Uh, yeah, for we'll, sure. We'll see. We'll see, Alan. But we're we'll here to talk about economics, some philosophy, and then a little bit of corporate America. So where do you okay. where do your passion for economics come from? Because it's not really something that like when you were a kid going, yes, numbers. <laughs> Well, you know, it does have its the what's the nickname for economics? It's, it's the dismal science, right? Yeah, you know, it's kind of boring. Uh, depends on how you look at it. Like, I didn't grow up saying I want to be an economist or I wanted to do economics. I went to undergrads, and uh, yeah, you know, honestly, I, I, I economics found me. I didn't find economics, so mm. I had uh, some early classes in in micro and macroeconomics. I had a philosophy class, and uh, I really loved that whole combination and thinking about you know how do you solve problems and at the the heart of economics is really about human behavior and understanding human behavior what incentives do you imply uh, or apply to create behavior change um just thinking about all of that and the way you know, people buy things, people don't buy things, um, how the labor market operates. My, my undergrad degree has a focus in labor economics. So it was really kind of peeling the onion on, on numbers and data and how things are working and why, and then trying to, you know, predict models on, on, on what was happening. Uh, I just found really fascinating. It was almost like a game. Yeah, you know, if you think of it that way, and uh, it was it's like a puzzle uh, or a strategy game. So to me, at the at the heart of it, that's I, I just I just fell in love with it, I, and I still I love economics. I love uh, reading uh, about it. I love uh, following it. You know, most of the people like on Twitter or uh, publications I read, are, you know, following the economics writers. I just find that it just uh, continues to just really fascinate me. It's it's interesting. Now I was, I was speaking with Drew on this on on our podcast mm-hmm. how like traders and people in economics really kind of converse and discuss everything on Twitter. Like you're, you t- you're talking like everybody knows who Jill is. Oh, Joe Malandrina, host host <laughs> of Nasdaq Trade Talks. Um, they will. They will. Everyone yeah, knows who yeah. Jill is, right? She's a huge star on Twitter. My point mm-hmm. is like people who speak mm-hmm. economics on Twitter, which yeah, I kind of think about. I was like, huh, why? Why, out of all yeah. the places that converse and discuss things, a hundred was it two hundred sixty characters on Twitter? Or is yeah. it two eighty now? It's two, like yeah, two eighty. That's where you want to talk all your money. So like, yeah. how much of your time is this on Twitter? Going moron. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, we can, I'm gonna. I, I would debate you, but I can't. Like, <laughs> how, like why? Why Twitter? 
you know, Twitter is a great platform. It's it's more of the me platform in social media, right? So there's, you know, a lot of people talk their book, right? So they talk their book, whatever it is, uh, whatever your profession is, your job, your interest, you're talking your book. So I think, you know, economists constantly doing research, constantly putting out sort of views and theories. It's, you know, it's a great platform for them to, you know, bring up a debate and, you know, sort of dust off their playbook per se. So I think econ Twitter has its own little world uh that's you know it's fascinating again and to me the challenge with twitter as you just said it's the character limitation so you have to really be succinct get your point across almost be a headline writer to some extent and uh and know how to be very brief and and talk that way and so it's 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 interesting i think out of all my platforms twitter is my least favorite um, <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's really difficult. It, it's definitely the hardest. I'll give yeah. you that. It's definitely the hardest. You know, Facebook has its, I scroll through Facebook for memes and things to laugh at and like news headlines go, oh, that's ridiculous. Instagram yeah. memes on my friends and texting people. Uh, I despise TikTok. YouTube's my favorite. I'm on YouTube all the time. <laughs> uh, I'm creating content for YouTube all the time. So I got to be on yeah. YouTube all the time. Um, but it's all, it kind of all falls mm-hmm. into communications, right? Yeah. So you were formerly a senior vice president and global head of communications and are currently a chief communications officer. So what exactly does all of that mean? Uh, you know, I think that the thing that everybody relies on today in, in the world is communications. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, you just named several platforms. I mean, yeah, we didn't have those 10, 15, 20 years ago, right? So the world, in my world professionally, has changed dramatically. Uh, The amount of information, the amount of communication, the amount of research data, people who are now influencers, uh, you know, we talked about econ Twitter. Well, there's all kinds of different levels of various professions and industries that have their own experts now in, in, in all these platforms. So one component of, you know, what you know, the profession does that I'm in public relations and communications is really trying to tie all that together. Is there a theme? Is there a trend? Uh, Who should we talk to? Who can help influence things? Uh, Who do we need to talk with? Who should understand what we're doing? So there's that, again, the kind of real-time aggregation game theory of like, you know, where, where are things headed and and what should we do component to it? Um, That's the external side of it. And then there's always an internal side of all this too, right? You know, every organization has their own people that they need to talk with um, to educate, build awareness. You know, what are we doing? How are we doing it? Who are the people that matter? Uh, And and so it's, for, for me, there's this, I don't like the word influence because it has a negative connotation to it, but mm-hmm. there's there's an awareness and an influence component to the the role of communications. Uh, the words you choose, the visuals you choose, when you use them, how often you use them. I mean, these are real decisions that the people in my uh, profession have to make in order to make an impact. And so there's. Uh, there's there's data that comes with it. There's just being uh, having job experience doing it, um, and I would say the the last leg of it, all of that is is listening and really understanding what all of your stakeholders want: your clients, your customers, your employees, your partners, the community. Uh, so it's it's an ongoing challenge. And again, I, I, I'll, I'll hearken it back to my days of studying economics and human behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the job I have as a communications person and a public relations person is exactly the same thing as an economist. I'm trying to understand, you know, human behavior. What are what are people doing? What are they building? What are they buying? What are they what are they looking for in a service economy? And like how you uh, how, and how do you deliver what they need? Not what they want necessarily, because it can be some what they but what do they need? Um, and just understanding all that. It's just a challenge. You know, you don't you don't. Uh, you don't have a hundred percent track record all the time. So you learn from your mistakes. You learn from your, you know, things you tried that didn't work and you move on. I think you said listening. Uh, I think listening in public discourse, even sometimes in the workplace Mm -hmm. um, can just be ignored. Listening is kind of a lost. It's a, it's a, it's not like a dying art form. It's a, it's, it's a skill people need to re up on. And that's a big reason why I podcast. I think podcasting makes me an excellent listener. You know what did you say? 
yeah, exactly. I think I think podcast. I'll say it again for people who weren't listening. I think list. I think podcasting yeah. makes me a better listener. Um, uh, and I, well, I, but like I think like over the past twenty years, let's say over the past twenty years, in your in your experience, in your opinion, do you think people have gotten better at communicating with all these new platforms? Worse, or is it kind of this similar? It just evolves a little bit. Can I say it depends? That yeah, it, it, that's, totally, that's always a valid answer for everything. It's a yeah, you know we're we we are drowning in information. Yeah, right. Uh, I can remember starting in this profession early on in the in the nineties, in the early nineties, and you know you had plenty of time. You could read your publications, and you'd put things together, and you'd send it out, and you'd mail it or fax. Like there was just there was not this sense of immediacy urgency that there is today and i think part of what makes people really successful today no matter what their job is or what they're doing is just slowing down Mm. and asking yourself is this an emergency right now like if if i don't do it today and it may and i wait a day or i wait an hour is it going to make a difference? Uh, I, th- I think that's a, that is a real soft skill today that a lot of people find challenging, including myself, uh, because there is this, again, we live in this 24-7 immediacy, urgency, uh, nonstop digital world, it seems. So having that ability, uh, and this has probably come with my age and experience of taking the, the 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 long view stepping back um and and helping sort of think about what the response should be whether it's my own personal response or the or an organization's response or a team response internally is i think a real skill today and and that skill is is charged because of all of the information we have at our fingertips so um it's it's so so to your question because i was listening to you will <laughs> thank you thank uh, you i'm glad someone does yeah, i think i think it does depend right it depends on what what it is that's happening um i think having more information certainly lets people like a researcher, for instance, or an analyst, really dive into all that information and come up with a conclusion. I think that on the flip side, though, all that information you know does make people probably react more than they should react. And you, you see examples of more of the reaction in real time versus the slower, methodical, step back, think about it yeah. reaction. So there is, I think there's a, misconception that social media is just driving all of this like hardcore reaction, emotional responses all the time. I, I, I think you don't, you don't see the slow methodical mm-hmm. answers and, and responses. So it's, it's a bit different. It's, it's hard to answer. I think, I do think it's both. So how can someone become a better listener? Because you, you, I like what you said about like, you know, take your time and like, don't, don't react to things immediately. Sure. Like, you know, let it marinate. Can I, can I do yeah. this now with, if I try and do it tomorrow, will the situation change what makes it yeah. easier instead of reacting on it right now? So I, think, yeah. I think that's great advice. I think I need to take you up on that one. But how can people just become better listeners and communicators? You know, I, I, there's going to be a few, few answers to that question. So no, no, no one solution. There's no silver bullet. One, I think just learning the practice of slowing down and making it a habit is, is critical. You know, I, I meditate every day. I have a regular habit of just slowing myself down, checking in with myself. So meditations, you know, I study stoicism. Um, I study Buddhism that all of that over years has just accumulated into me just being able to, to regulate myself. And I think mm. self-regulation is a very, very important skill that, that people can benefit from. That's, that's number one. Uh, n- number two, I think is, is something also that I practice is, is stakeholder management. You know, before I respond or think of a response, I am, I am thinking a lot about who, who is the audience and what are they, are they in a panic and an urgency and do I need to calm things down? Are they just, they just want the best answer when I get it to them. You know, we, we, we get into this immediate reply syndrome. So you have to think a little bit about um, who, who the audience is and, and, and what that response time 
you know, requires. Um, and it could be, I think to me, I think a lot of the best answers are just acknowledging you have something from somebody got it. I'm going to work on it. Or um, thanks for sending all this. Give me until tomorrow and I'll come back to you. Like setting expectations is my third point. I don't think people set expectations with others as well as they should. And that to me is also something that I've learned over time from many mentors that if you can manage others' expectations of what they expect from you, then the results will always be better. Um, if, if my client knows I'm going to have something to them by this Thursday, they understand it's this Thursday. Uh, if, you know, my kids understand that, you know, I'm at work and I, you know, can't play sports with them until I get off my job until later tonight. And then we can go like it's managing their expectations. So the, the, I would say all three of those things are really key and, and critical. Um, and again, it goes back to what we were just talking about. Like we live in a, in a world that is just moving super fast. No, for sure. So how do you, how do you manage, I guess, general expectations? Like even with like, even with like your, like your, your friends and family, right? Cause you yeah. are, you are a global head of, you were a global head of communications. So that means the whole globe, right? So you're, <laughs> you're working with people in Europe, you're working with people in Asia, hell you work with people yeah. in California, yeah. right? So like APAC hours could be three in the morning over yeah. here in the States. Yeah. And if you got to communicate with those people, you know, that gets in the way of the rest of your life. So you yeah. as a executive, you as a professional, also you as a husband and a father, how do you balance all of that? And like, how do you, how do you put out fires from people who speak a different language than you? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I think there's a, there's a lot that has to go into uh, well, I mean, we could, we could kind of parse that in a number of ways. Well, right. If you're talking international cultures, I think it's, it's really taking the time to understand a culture. Yeah, I'm fortunate that I, I lived in London for four years. And so I worked with people from really literally all over Europe. Uh, and I got to understand very deeply uh, different cultures and then living in a different culture. You know, I was uh, my favorite saying to my kids is, you know, look, you're, you're a foreigner in a foreign land. So just, you know, m mind you, I know everybody speaks English in England, <laughs> but you're still a foreigner. Right. Um, so I think that experience was and ex being exposed to so many different cultures by traveling everywhere was a huge benefit to me. And I'm incredibly grateful and fortunate for that opportunity that it gave me because it taught me a lot about other people and dealing with other people that and, and the differences in people. So you, you learn patience and you learn understanding very quickly. Uh, I think asking a lot of questions also is, uh, is important. Uh, you know, you can't set expectations if you don't know what they are and you don't know what they are unless you ask a lot of questions. Uh, so, so asking questions also is, is important. And then it, to me, it's, again, maybe it's come with age and, uh, and just being a little bit wiser, but, um, you know, slowing down and, and, you know, for my kids, for example, just being a good example to them, not lecturing them, but showing them, I think goes a long way. And I think that for executives and people in business goes a long way as well. You know, just, you know, walk your talk um, is important. And if they see that, then they understand versus you just telling them and or sending them a text. Uh, but if they see that behavior, then it, it makes a difference. So like a hypothetical situation, right? There's oh, you, oh you're, like you, like you're in, you're in, you're in crisis mode for a company yeah. working for company X and this decision over like the next few weeks could cost the company like millions of dollars, right? And like you're in, you're responsible for this, this yeah. problem. Like how do you keep a cool head? Cause I don't even know if you've been in that kind of situation. I really hope you have well, yeah, it all the time. Yeah. It's been crisis, out, crisis out happen all the time. Forget I mean. it. So like, so how do you like, cause you like, you, you, you use the word stoicism and we talked about this before we record, but I get yeah. into stoicism. You are so stoic. Stoic is like the perfect action to describe you. Cause you're always cool. Like I remember like it was an IPO day, super busy. I walk in, everyone's kind of freaking out. You're at your, you're at your, you're at your desk. Yeah. Hey, well morning. Stoic's over there if you want them. I'm like what? <laughs> so like, how do you, how do you keep the cool head? And is, is it practice? Is I'm, I'm assuming it's meditation. I'm going to guess it's meditation. Meditation has a lot to do with it, for sure. Uh, I think I think that's helped me s slow down a lot. Uh, I think the, you know, keeping calm under pressure is, 
you know, it's something I studied in my graduate school program. I wrote my thesis on crisis management and what does it take to be a leader in a crisis and emotions and emotional responses uh, came out as, you know, a very, very clear thing in my research. And, and, you know, I did qualitative and quantitative research for that paper, the thesis. So I learned a lot from that. I just, you know, I, I studied crisis management uh, and, you know, there was always a, there was always a fallback on to the, you know, the idea of, you know, you, you, you learn from it. So what, what are you going to learn from it and apply in the future? So do I get worried when things happen? And the other thing is, you know, define a crisis. Everybody defines it differently, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, I've heard many, many multiple times we're in a crisis, we're in a crisis. Well, it's not really a crisis. It's a problem, right? It's an issue. We need to address it. So crisis is a very personal definition I've learned over time as well. Mm. Uh, But I think in the the big thing that my takeaway for, again, for me and my career professionally is, you know, there's a, you people, people are looking for answers, right. And they, they're looking for, for help. Mm -hmm. And you know, me frantically running around like it's crazy and the world's on fire does not help exude confidence, calm, or uh, allowing people to make uh, decisions, including myself. So for me, it's that let's, it's always, you know, you, you've heard it before, right? You know, before you give a, a speech, what should you do? Take a calm, deep breath, right? You know, inhale, exhale, take that breath, right? It's, it's a pause. It's, and it makes a difference. Um, pauses, stopping and thinking, uh, it, you know, can have a, a, a reset effect that uh, for me, just it just works. It just works for me. Yeah. So what's, what's the biggest team you've managed? How many people? Roughly. Oh, goodness. I, um, I think the team at NASDAQ, it was about 30 people. 30, 30 plus people? people. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. in your opinion, what makes a success, what's it, what makes a successful manager in a corporate position? Oh boy, that's a great question. Um, Again, no one answer, right? It all depends. I think Mm -hmm. there's a level of trust that is, that is needed. Trust is huge. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I trust giving work to people. I trust um, letting people stretch themselves to do things they they may not be comfortable with. Um, that that is that is super important. I think uh, again, setting an example, behavior is very important. Are you on time for meetings? This is a g- great example. Mm-hmm. Or are you always late? So if you're always late, does that mean that everybody can be late for all their meetings? Like, right. So right. little examples like that are important. But I I think the for me the the biggest challenge, of course, is just knowing your people, understanding them, and really listening to them as we've talked about we're talking about listening a lot uh listening to who they are just what makes them tick you know not just professional skill wise but as a person and knowing trying to understand again i'll go back to my i'll put on my economics hat right um, I don't, this, here's, this is my economics hat. Here's my economics hat, right? <laughs> Are you uh, going fishing? <laughs> no, it's my, this is my running hat. We haven't talked about running yet. We'll so. get there. We'll get there. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, you know, understanding people from an economics behavior standpoint, right? Like what are the behaviors that drive people? It's the same thing for a manager. You know, what, what you know, some people want to take on as much work as they can. They want to push themselves. Other people want to be a super, super highly skilled in one thing. Right. And if you're a manager, you're not listening, you're not trusting them. Uh, they don't trust you. You're not giving off the behaviors that you understand that like that can go off the rails really, really quickly. So, uh, you know, would you like, you know, be like, you know, we'll hey, have this job for you to do and you have no skill set and you don't want to do it. And I'm like, you're going to do it. like, it's just, it's just, there's a disconnect, you know, you're right. going to want to leave. I think the, What's the, there's always a saying, like people don't, people don't leave good jobs. They leave bad managers. Right. That's a great, yeah, that's uh, great. Luckily, so, luckily I've always had great managers. Like my, yeah, in my professional, my professional job, I've been like three for three. Oh, it does. It make, totally. It makes 100%. a big, big difference. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it is a really hard, you know, effort to make, you know, managing people is, is difficult. It's just, it's not an easy endeavor. I don't find it, uh, I don't find it easy myself. Doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. I really like 
working with people. I like understanding people. Um, I like seeing, you know, people excel. Um, I like people seeing people really um, excited about what they're doing. That to me as a manager, those are great, great attributes to have. And, um, but it's hard. And, you know, to your point, like, you know, managing 30 people makes it difficult. Now that goes back to the, like, you know, Anna reported to me and Leanne, and then you like, it's still, it still was, even if I wasn't talking with you specifically about your job, that didn't mean I wasn't having conversations about you and, you know, is Will doing? Is he he a good thing? (laughs) They all told you I was asking about you. Sometimes. What's that guy doing? Who is that guy? (laughs) Sometimes they'd be like, just so you know, this is for Alan. It's like, you know, don't screw it up. Who is that guy? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but but that's also a role of a manager, like you know, asking like, how are they managing their people? Oh, are their I'll, people okay? I'll, I'll never forget this one time. I think we were in Studio B, and I spelled your name wrong. On a I lower, remember that on a lower third, <laughs> and I freaked out. Right, so that was a crisis for me, right? And and to your credit, as a manager, I know we talked about Stern talks earlier. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You kind of gave me one a little, like a little bit. It was in your own stoic way because I was just like, Le- Leanne kind of gave me the rundown. And yeah. I was just like, you know, I sent you an email. It's like, you know, I'm sorry. It won't happen again. Like my, fo- I, I took responsibility for it. And you just, you just went, no problem. It happens. Won't happen again. I got it. And that was it. Buried. Done. That's a sign of a good manager. Done. Didn't happen again, did it? It, did, it didn't happen again. I yeah. triple checked. <laughs> I made sure. Yeah, so now, great point. Like, what would I have gained from yelling at you or having my head pop off? Or like, it's just, there, it happens, you know, yeah. and I also, have, I also realize I have a name that gets misspelled all the time. Yeah, me too. Tarashuk. Yeah, it's awful. Oh, I thought uh, you were going to say Will. Yeah, Will. Yeah, it's <laughs> will, will I am. Will I am. Um, so this ne- no. next, next question is a little personal to me, right? Because like I am, I, you know, I'm the founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. I am also a contractor yep. working 40 hours a week. Um, those do bleed into each other a little bit, but I'm getting to a position where I'm going to need help with everything for APS, right? I am, I've been thinking for a long time about getting interns to kind of help with editing, social media, stuff like this. But what's holding me back is I, as a manager, want to make sure I give them the time and my attention that they deserve to be successful, especially if they're interns, Yeah, which is very hard for me to balance because I have so much responsibility and I put so much responsibility on myself. Yeah, How can I better balance that and still be successful, balancing my own personal work with managing a team. Because managing yeah. a team, I'm going to be good at it. I just know it. But I need to find the time because I got to give the respect to my team, not just I need this done, don't bother me. Yeah. So how, how can I do that? I, I, I think you need to have one, one thinking in your mindset in, in this aspect. And uh, it, it helps me is that – Helping others helps you. Right. Right. So right. if you think of it that way, and 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 we'll break that down a little bit, but working with your interns, your staff, your team, whatever, whatever it is that you have, I don't know, your army of people will that work at your uh, your podcast, <laughs> but or your production company, but taking time to talk to them and walk them through things makes you think about them, um, makes you think about what has to be done. You learn from them because they'll ask questions. They may have an idea that makes you think a little bit differently. So if you think that every question or every engagement with someone you're helping is an opportunity for you to get better, it makes that making time for others a lot easier to think about because otherwise to your point like you could just say like i can't i don't have time i just don't have time i'm too busy i can't i can't do that but if you think about well let's see if i set up a 30-minute meeting every week and we talk about these things and we talk about ideas and i listen to them and they give me some ideas maybe i want to research that and maybe i didn't think about doing it this way and then you add another skill set to your repertoire so i think there is always this and not to be selfish about it but we all want to learn we all want to get better at what we do yeah we always, we all want to succeed. We want to help our clients succeed. I think, I think if you just take that and shift your mindset a little bit of like, what do I need to do? I, I think that would help. Do you find, do you find workers work better on a tight leash where they need to be told what to do or a little bit looser like me, which kind of just like, Hey, here's the <laughs> expectation. You know, I trust you to go do it. You know, I don't, I know the answer is it depends. In your experience, where do you, where do you find there's more of people who like to be told what to do or people who like a little more freedom, like structured freedom. I'll call it structured freedom. 
Yeah, you know, I, again, my own personal view is I like to give people freedom to do things on their own. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not involved or not giving direction or not helping, not behind the scenes, but there is a, you know, there is a a belief in my mind that, you know, people want to learn and succeed and feel like they are doing it on their own. I'm the Mm -hmm. same way. Right. So I love when someone gives me a project and the, 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 the question or the directive is figure it out. That's awesome. I, I love that. I love having something given to me with a clean white sheet of paper and I can build it. I love that. It's half my job. Um, <laughs> it's half my job. Yeah. So I, I, I take that in the same, you know, the, but again, that's my belief and how I work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know everybody's different. So again, as managing people and working with people, you have to understand what everybody needs. And some people need a little bit more direction and, you know, some people that might be more junior and, Others don't, uh, but I like to give people the opportunity to like figure it out on your own. And if you, if you need help, I always tell people I work with, just raise your hand. See, just raise your hand. I'm, you know, I'm not a, um, intimidating person to come sit with. If you want to have a meeting with me, I, I, I love meeting with people. Let's go get a coffee. Let's have a zoom call. Like come, come, let's go get lunch. Like I, we can talk about it however you want to. Uh, yeah, you are, you are very approachable. Yeah. So, so then that goes back to like manage others' expectations, right? What I talked about the importance of managing other, like, you know, I expect people to manage my expectations. If I give you a project and I don't give you a clear directive, you should ask me questions and that's my fault. Uh, and I take responsibility for that, but then you should be responsible enough to say, you know, you didn't give me a deadline on this. Do you have a deadline? You know, um, and who should I work with? Like, you didn't tell me, Oh, I'll be the first to admit, like, that's my fault. I'm sorry. I, I need it this day. And you should talk with these two people. Yeah. Um, but I definitely like the idea of like, you should go figure it out on your own. I think that's the way people learn. And I think people feel really good about themselves when they can figure something out on their own. Yeah, I I, I do too. Like That's how I like to work. Um, like if I was to hire someone, I'd really expect you like, like, listen, I'll give you all the content in the world, but I yeah. just need you to develop a social strategy, schedule yeah. posts, and go build a following. How you do yeah. that is completely up to you, right? <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I, legally, but, <laughs> yeah. But like, but I, I, I feel, I feel weird like saying like that's my. Ex- I feel like that's a weird expectation to put on someone. I feel like I, I almost feel like that's that's the sign of a bad manager. No, no. I think the, I think I I know where you're coming from. Uh, It's, but it's, it doesn't mean you just walk away. Right. Yeah. Like, of course I'd still be there for questions and the guy. How's it going? Do you need some help? Do you have some questions? Like give them props, give people props. That's okay. I I mean, I, I, I love when someone, you know, if I'm given a project and someone checks in, Hey, how's everything going? Do you need some help? You know, when my my boss does that, I love it. I love it. A, it shows they care. B, it shows they want to help. Um, and they're, and they're all in. And then I know the importance of it. So again, you know, mindset is, is really important in all of this as both a, manager and you know someone being managed Mm. all right that's great advice alan thank you i appreciate that sure all right climbing the corporate ladder you've you've made your how how fast did you climb the corporate ladder how how (laughs) how fast how early in your career you know i'm here i am an executive why 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 are you so stuck on being an executive I, run, I, I founded a company, Alan. What do you mean? You are an executive then. I mean, I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, anyone can just call themselves an executive, right? But yeah. like, it's right now. It's a team of five people, essentially, yeah. right? Okay. Like, you know, we all have our responsibilities. I got a part. I got a partner in Nashville who who manages his own stuff and does his own thing. I got a partner in North Dakota yeah. who's doing his own stuff. I got a partner in Montclair, New Jersey, doing his own here's, stuff. Here, and then there's I, me. I, here's here's what I will tell you from my experience of what's worked and what's not worked. I can tell you every time that I had a job or a promotion where I went in thinking I'm the boss, I'm the leader, you know, I, you know, this this is what we were going to do things. It failed miserably. When mm. I went into a position just saying, hey, I just want to do things really well. Let's all succeed. Let's be a team and let's move forward is when I succeeded the most. So there is this, um, again, my, these are my experiences. I think, you know, rising up the corporate ladder or however you want to put it is, you know, if you make others win and others succeed, you will succeed. If you are only focused on yourself succeeding, you are going to fail. Okay. 
I just, I, 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 believe, I, I believe again, that. I go, I'll go by from my own experience. People want to be, you know, I, I, again, another, another Allenism, um, you know, people want to do business and work with good people. They just do. And yeah. people want to be around good people. And if you can be that good person and help others succeed and drive success and build success, you'll, you'll be successful. Don't worry about the end game. You know, I could, how can, you know, I talk about this with my teenage kids um, and they roll their eyes. I get it. Cause I did that with my dad. Yep, I did too, don't <laughs> right? Worry. Right? Like they all want to be successful and they want to do it right now. And it's like, look, it's a, it's a long-term game. You know, you, yeah. you, you, you know, worry about, don't worry about getting the thing you want right now. Cause you won't get it. It's you, you just too laser focused. So, you know, if, if you can build success around you, then the success will come to you. And it's, um, I, I'm again, super grateful, very, very fortunate that I've worked with amazing people. And I've had some tremendous mentors in my career who have really helped me and given me time. And, um, I've, you know, I've learned from that and, you know, that's something that I hope I can give back. Well, I appreciate that, Alan. All right, so we are we're, we're done with corporate America, right? We're done with we're done with business. We're, we're, we're good. All we're set. Good. <laughs> I mean, you can tell about philosophy. Sure. So you you told me you told me about uh, stoicism. Mm-hmm. I forget the guy's name you mentioned, and then Buddhism. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a lot of guys in stoicism. You know, you can go back to like Marcus Aurelius and his yep. original, you know, diaries, uh, the you know meditations. But I. Um, you know, there's, there's just, a, there's a lot to be taken away from that. And those, you know, the, the theory and philosophy around stoicism, I think, you know, it has a, it has a bad name of being stoic. You're so stoic. Um, but, but stoicism really is the study of yourself and making yourself a better person and like questioning that. who you are and what you're doing. That, that in essence is stoicism. Yeah, so I, I Googled it. Wikipedia told me the Stoics provided a unified account of the world constructed from ideals mm-hmm. of logic, monistic physics, and naturalistic <laughs> ethics. Of these, they yeah. emphasized ethics as the main focus of human knowledge, and their logical theories were more interest than later philosophers. Stoic, Stoicism teaches the development of self-control and fortitude in means of overcoming destructive emotions, which honestly, in 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 economics and business yeah that's huge it's humongous (laughs) philosophy holds that becoming a clear and unbiased thinker allows Mm. one to understand universal reason so how did like is that just is that just kind of naturally instinctively who you are as a person or is that a learned behavior for yourself um i to me it's 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 learned it's not learned it's well i guess i would say learned behavior yeah i don't i don't like that saying learned behavior because then it sounds like you you didn't you 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 know, you weren't, you weren't really that, that person. I think, I think there is a innate want from humans to be, to just be better, to be better people at the heart of things, at least myself. So, you know, I studied philosophy in, in undergrad and, uh, and really started to read more about Buddhism, maybe like 15 years ago. And then stoicism, you know, about five, eight, seven years ago, Ryan holiday is my go-to guy. He's, you know, he's an author, uh, he's written several books about stoicism. He runs the Daily Stoic website, the Daily Stoic email. Um, if you really want to understand stoicism and the benefits of it, you know, he's your guy. He's, you know, numerous videos, his daily emails, his books he's written. Uh, that that he, 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 to me, has been a huge um, teacher uh, to me about stoicism and applying it to my life. But, I, you know, Wikipedia is a very formal definition again i would just go back to my <laughs> definition stoicism is just all about making yourself a better person i like your definition better yeah <laughs> I, I do like your definition better although like i feel like a lot of walks of life are about making yourself better. you can say like you know working on going to the gym is like an art of making yourself better yeah right no, but fitting yeah. your definition no i think it totally makes sense it's more it's more internal right it's more yeah, about very internal it's, it's more about the minds and i think yeah. i think a lot of people like myself i have uh, generalized anxiety. I've had it since a kid. I don't, I don't know if you're going to believe this, but I didn't mm-hmm. talk in kindergarten. Like throughout, can't that. throughout the whole s- school year, I didn't say a word out loud, like in the classroom. Your, po- your podcast would not have been that good in kindergarten. It would have been actually, it would have <laughs> been a lot of whispering in people's ears. But um, I bring that up because like, you know, how do you beat that kind of anxiety? Well, you kind of got to trick yourself. Mm. Right. And I think yeah. meditation was something that could have helped me, but meditation is hard. 
It's yeah. it's really it's really difficult to do to sit in a quiet room and just breathe and empty your mind. Um, so. For for me, what kind of clicked for me was I was listening to like a guide meditation, probably on like um, yeah, I forget, it might have been YouTube, it might have been the Call Map. I love the Call Map. Yeah, yeah. But they're like focus on your breath, not specifically your breath, but it's the little pause in between the inhale yeah. and then again on the end of the exhale. Because before you take yeah. a breath or release a breath, there's always a little pause. If you focus yeah. on that pause, your mind will just erase. Yeah. So what, what, yeah. what's what's your tick? What makes you really focus and hone in on meditation? Because it does work. It's very effective. Oh, it's it's a great practice. But I think to your point, Will, like it, it's the hardest thing I do. The yeah. hardest thing I do. You know, I uh, I run, you know, ultra marathons. I, you know, raise four kids. He's sitting still for five, 10 minutes every day. And just thinking and having thoughts wander, it, it is extremely difficult. And that is the point of meditation is it's not supposed to be easy. I don't think people realize that. I know people that try it and they quit and, uh, you know, it's too hard. I can't do it. Well, that's that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> it it is meant to be difficult. Sitting alone with your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions with no distractions is can be an unpleasant experience. The more you do it, the more comfortable you get though with yourself. And I think that is a, a key strength and takeaway of doing meditation every day. It allows you to investigate who you are. Do you follow Sam Harris? Yeah. Yeah. He's, Sam's great. He's he's the one who really like opened my eyes to meditation, made me want yeah. to try it. Um yeah. I'm a big fan of Sam Harris. I think he's very, yeah. very, very smart, especially when it comes to meditation. When do you yeah. find the best time to meditate is? For me, I tried doing it before bed. It would Sometimes if I, if I did it right, I got in that zone, <laughs> I'd be out like a light, slept like a baby. Yeah, always in the morning for me. Always, always okay. in the morning. It's a good way to start my day and just clear my mind and understand that, you know where I am. But I think the huge benefit of doing it as a regular practice and starting out and you know you do your you know, for me for instance a morning meditation is a phenomenal way to like clear my head and start my day I, you know i find you know after years of doing it and years of practice i can meditate anywhere uh on the mm -hmm. train eating lunch going for a run um you know i, I wouldn't recommend doing it while you're driving your car <laughs> but you gotta keep your eyes open for that one yeah, yeah. You can still meditate with your eyes open, but you you can get even walking meditation is a great habit to get into. And, you know, no phone, no ear, but just walk and listen to sounds and, you know, uh, try to understand what you're hearing and, and what how it makes you feel. I think, you know, meditation, again, is introspection of, you know, how how you are feeling and reacting to things in order to better adjust and, you know, get over the anxieties that you have, um, understand your strengths, know where, you know, you have weaknesses and what you need to work on as a person and, you know, investigate that. And that's, you know, meditation is not about sitting still for five minutes with a clear mind and having nothing in your head. <laughs> that is not meditation. Right. If you think that's what it is, you're going to fail miserably. It's not meditation. How long do you meditate for? Do you have a set time with kind of just you, you, you feel it in your mind, you feel it in your body, and you go, I'm good. Yeah, I do about five to seven minutes. Five, seven minutes? Yeah, that's easy. it. It's, easy, it's not easy. much. It's really not. But it is the hardest, most difficult five minutes of my day. It is really, you know, I, there's times where, you know, I start out fine, and then, you know, my chime goes off, and it's like, I totally forgot what I was doing. And I don't remember, you know, meditating. Um, and days like that, I meditate again. Um because it's to me, it's it's just a incredibly important practice that I have. Right. All right. So you you got these you got these Buddhists uh, Buddhist methods. You got these ideologies, mm -hmm. this, these ethics and stoicism mm -hmm. on how you kind of bury yourself. Can those ethics or philosophies sometimes clash with your professional life? Like, and and if so, like, how do you deal with mm -hmm. that? Either from someone under you or above you. Because if they're yeah. under you, you can just kind of go, well, too bad. I'm the boss. If they're above yeah, I mean, you, it's kind of like, like yeah. I, how, do you, how do you balance that? Because like, if you, some, especially someone who thinks logic, sometimes the, the worst enemy of someone who thinks logically is someone who yeah. thinks illogically. Right? Yeah. So like, yeah. how, do you, how do you balance that with like, I have my way of thinking, my morals, my values through these teachings I've taught myself has been very beneficial. And I got this schmuck over here who just doesn't get it. 
Yeah. You got to work I, with that schmuck. I, I just, <laughs> I, I would just say I'm a student of life. So I love to learn about a lot of different things, a lot of different philosophies. I studied theology as, as, you know, a teenager uh, in through college. Like I, I, I just am a sponge for all of that information. So, um, you know, I just realized that every people are different. So, you know, I don't, prescribe like let's just take buddhism for instance like i am not a buddhist i would not say i'm a buddhist i've studied buddhism for buddhism for a long time and i've studied the practices of buddhism but i'm not i am not a buddhist i would never go around saying i'm buddhist because that would be false but you know i study the precepts i study what it's about what it means and you know i apply what i feel like i can apply to my life and um and and act in a act in a way that matters Okay, perfect. Um, All right, Alan. Last um, last topic is running, and I say oh, I say now. Now we're excited. Now we're getting to it. I saved running for last because uh-huh. it's. I think running for you is what podcasting is for me. Yeah, right. Podcasting to me is therapy. It's self expression. It's fun. It's it's part of my business. It's entertaining. It's yeah. just, it's what I love to do. That's yeah. why I think running is for you. Like running for you is just your escape. It's the, it's, it's the one Alan thing Alan gets to do by himself and no one else can bother him. <laughs> How close am I? Yeah, you're pretty close. You're pretty Nailed close. It. There is a, there is a, there is a huge benefit to it of unplugging and being alone and, you know, and, and running, you know, miles and miles and miles on your own. So I, I do enjoy that benefit to it. That's certainly one benefit. Um, explain, explain the runner's high. Oh gosh, runner's high is, it's hard to explain. I don't get it. I don't get it very often, but you know, when I do, it is just a great feeling of, you know, body and mind just moving in such a way that feels really good. It just feels natural and comfortable. And it it is, uh, it's just this, um, feeling of an euphoria of everything is working and i love that feeling and i i get it i get it mostly i get it in races and i think that's probably because there's a lot of adrenaline uh while, while you're running a race but i can get it while i'm training and and it, and it it's you know for me i can't it's not something you turn on or off but you know runners i all it has to do a lot with you know flow and the concept of flow and you can you can get into that that concept of flow at work and doing a project you're working on that you're really excited and passionate about and you're in it. And all of a sudden, you know, an hour goes by and you've completed it and it's just, if you feel great about it. Um, so that to me is uh that's a good feeling about with runners high distance or sprints, which do you prefer? Oh, distance. I mean, come distance, on. I'm, yeah, I'm I in my fifties. I, 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 I know. But like, like did, I'm assuming you ran track in high school, like all throughout college, all that. I ran cross country in high school. Cross so country. Okay. I, so I didn't run school. track, uh, you know, so it's, you know, it's funny cause I still talk to my high school cross country coach. I see him every now and then when really? I go back to Michigan. Yeah. That's awesome. And, That's uh, awesome. he, uh, he's, he was a great mentor to me, uh, personally and taught and taught me a lot about running but, you know, I was doing, you know, high school cross country is five K's, right? So three yep. miles. And, you know, I think the most I ever ran in high school was like, you know, I probably did 10 miles in a day for a training run. So, you know, now I do that. At, <laughs> you know, you know, I, yeah, you about, but I do, I do ultra marathon. So, right. So <laughs> I've, I have a 50 mile race coming up at the end of June. I think this is coming out after. So uh, I have a hundred mile race at the end of August in, um, in Oregon. I try to do, you know, like three ultra marathons a year. So one or two 50 mile races, one 100 mile race. You ever do the uh, like Boston or New York marathon? You know, I've only won run not one run one road marathon in my life and it was detroit okay hometown so that counts. I, I i just you know part of it goes back to this uh i love running in the trails um i love running in nature all of the races i do are mostly trail races i do i do you know one or two half marathons a year on the road some 10ks on the road but um I don't, there's no, <laughs> I say this now probably because of who I am, but uh, there's no appeal to me to like running in a race with 50,000 people. I just, I, you know, mm. 30, 40, like, I don't, that to me just does not sound fun. <laughs> right. Like I like to go run and you know, I compete in races, but I like to run to be with me and to be out there exploring, not just the area, but myself. Yeah. And I just, I find, uh, I find that very claustrophobic to do that 
in a crowded race like that. Yeah, I get that. No, it's like I said, like I said, it's very personal. It's almost religious in a sense. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So, so I got a, so. I got a friend. Um, What's well, my brother's friend? But I've known him forever. Yeah. Uh, he is a psychopath. He is a personal trainer, and he's doing an Ironman in Alaska yeah. in August. Yeah. Okay. So for those who don't know what an Ironman is, you start out mm-hmm. swimming. I forget how long. You bike for even longer. And then you run a marathon. <laughs> yeah. That's the, yeah. 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 That's Why, that, Why that's do all. people do this, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> well, I could never do a triathlon, Will, because yeah, I, I can't swim. So I've never, I've never no, swam Alan, in you my life. Alan, swim. I know. I, I, I know. Alan, you have it's... kids. Come on, man. <laughs> if, if they're in it's trouble, like someone's got to save them. Uh, if I were to do a triathlon, I'd have to ask if I could get those like rubber floaties for my arms. Get the swimmies, uh, <laughs> get a noodle, <laughs> a tube. Yeah. A noodle. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, and I'm not ashamed of it. I just can't swim. I, I, I had a experience as a little kid and, you know, just never got back in the pool. So, um, I, you know, why do people do it? That's a great question. Like, why do I, why do I subject myself, you know, running a hundred miles? I'm, I'm awake for 30, 33 hours, you know, triathlons, you're, you're, you end it with, uh, you know, with, uh, with the marathon after our bike and a swim, you know, part of it is I, I would say for, I can speak for myself. And I think for a lot of people, one, it's just a challenge. It is definitely a challenge. It's unique. Um, very few people do it. Uh, you know, particularly, you know, hundred mile races. I mean, we're, we're ta- you're talking like, like one, well under, you know, 1% of people in the world do it every year. So there was a uniqueness to it and a challenge. Um, but I love, I love running. So I, I just, it's, it's something that I really, really enjoy. Um, I happen to, I think I'm good at it. Uh, and pushing myself is, definitely part of it how, um the, how, are, how are your knees <laughs> everybody you, always asks that how do you stay healthy knees knees are um, i will i will personally say i'm not a doctor but i believe the whole knee theory is a myth uh your your reason your knees are bad is if you have a weak core because running is all done through your core your glutes okay. Okay. your you know, your hips your stomach, your core is what drives you. If you think about, you know, running, you are lifting the leg and putting it down. If your core is weak, your knees have to make up for the weakness in your core. Hence why people get wonky knees when they run. They probably have a very weak core. If your core is strong, you know, you can run. I, I don't have... um you know, I don't, you know, knocking wood. Well, you're going to jinx me. I don't have any problems, but, uh, <laughs> but I work on my core. Right. So that, that to me is part of the difference in the strength uh, of running. So running isn't just legs. You, you do have to work on, you know, your whole body as a, as a runner. And particularly when you're doing the races that I do and the long distances I do, you, you, you can't just have runner's legs. You've, you've got to have like a runner body and a runner and a mentality. So that's the other thing that makes it the challenge is not just, it's just not a physical challenge, like pushing yourself, you know, to do 50 miles and hundred K and then a hundred miles. Like that is a mental struggle. Yeah. The real battle for me is the, <laughs> is the mental battle. It's not the physical battle. It's a physical, you know, it is a physical push, but getting your mind, you know, and it's, Two thirty in the morning, and you're at mile seventy, and you've got thirty to go, and you have no idea where you are, and you're sleep deprived. You know you you want to quit. You want to quit. So how do you get over that? It's uh, it's that is that to me is the challenge that I love. It's getting through that, um, and I know I can do it now. I mean, I've done it for seven years, so I I you know the first time I did it, I didn't think I could do it, uh, but now I know I can, and I know what that push is like and that to me also you know i can apply that to so many other things in my life right you know if i can get through a hundred mile race you know i can get through this project or i can get through this challenge or i can get through this problem i can get through a talk with tarashuk podcast easy (laughs) (laughs) no this is hard (laughs) i think i think right there is a perfect place to leave it but don't think i forgot alan if you listen to the show you know the last question yeah. Always goes to the guest. So if there's anything you've ever wanted to ask me, I am an open book. <laughs> now is the time. You can always play the fifth if you got nothing. 
<laughs> well, I, I was going to ask you in terms of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it on the podcast side of things. Most people do. So I want to know what, what is your, you know, what is your end goal, your end dream, you know, when it comes to what you're doing, because you're natural at it, you enjoy it. So where do you want this dream of yours to go? Well, I mean, that's, that's a great question. Um, I ask myself that all the time. And luckily, I have the base answer, and then the rest kind of changes depending on my mindset. So the base answer is Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. You know, me and the four guys founded Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. Our goal for that is to go public, and then as soon as it goes public, I'm done. I'm selling. I'm gone. I want nothing to do with a publicly traded company. It sounds like a nightmare. Um, however, I also own Willie T Productions, which is my sole proprietor where I own everything, what that's going to be, or well, is and going to be, is just my podcasting, my stuff. I, I want to manage a small team, probably about five, six people, have my own studio, a personal studio in my basement, and my actual studio I can go to, fly people in, have guests in person. Like, Alan, if I was rich and famous living in Tennessee, I'd, I'd buy you a plane ticket, get you a hotel, and you do it in the studio, right? Literally, like, like what, what, what Rogan does. So that's the kind of thing I want to do. I want to just podcast forever, whether from in my studio, which I own and operate, or from home where I can be a stay-at-home dad or anything. My main goal is to make APS a success. We all go our separate ways. I do my own thing while working with those relationships we still build um, and just podcast forever because luckily I can be 95 years old, God willing, and still be on this microphone annoying people. It's going to happen. It can happen. It's going to be easy. I can't you can. wait. You're, you're, no, you're right. You can. I think that is the, you know, the, with the capabilities of technology today and, you know, you, you could certainly have your podcast for forever. Yeah. Why, why not? And I, I want to keep relationships I make along the way. So like my current employer, um, yeah. I never want to leave, right? I, I, I've been working there almost three years now and I, yeah. I, I never want to leave. I want to adapt. I want to yeah. blend, um, yeah. if that's possible. If not, you know, I'll cross that bridge when I get there and see where I am. But I like the fact that I have options, and that yeah. to me is security. Yeah. Um, so that, but that, that eventually is my end goal because podcasting is my life. Podcasting yeah. is what I do. I am a podcaster. Well, I would say you, you're learning in a very important skill that will last you the rest of your life conversing with people, asking really good questions and listening. Communication and are... listening. Alan, I think we got a theme. <laughs> but all right, ladies and gentlemen, that has been Alan Schoenberg, a good friend of mine. Alan, this has been a great time. I'm very happy um, you, you decided Will. to do this. Anything you want to share, people can find you. If you want to plug anything, my friend, the floor is yours. Uh, you know, I think, you know, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter. It's just Alan Schoenberg. Uh, and that's probably the best place to find me and reach out. So. Amazing. And ladies and gentlemen, you know where to find all my stuff. My name is Will Tarash. This has been the Talking with Tarash podcast. You can find all our shenanigans every most important place in biggestpodcastsolutions.com to find all of our other podcasts, all the other podcasts I do, all the other podcasts our partners do. And uh, if you want to be a partner, make sure you reach out to me at will at APSpodcast.com. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, you are all welcome. He's going to make me go, ooh, that's pretty interesting. Like when Alan approached me, he's like, I won't be in your podcast. I went, interesting. And I was like, well, he's on. It's just, it's it's gonna happen. It's inevitable. He's gonna be on. It's just how it works. So, Will at APSPODCAST dot com to be a guest on the show. We'll do it just like this, and um, it'll be fun. But until then, I'll be back next week. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I'll see who's there. I'll see who's around. But until then, y'all take care. Just like that, Alan. We are clear. Perfect. Glad you spelled my name right.